0: from the um, theologian g.k chesterton he said this jesus promised his disciples they would be absurdly happy completely fearless and in constant trouble and that's what we'll see today in our uh, in our passage paul's absurdly happy completely fearless and this man is in constant trouble it reminds me of the story I, I heard of these two men back when bungee jumping got to be big back in California. And, and they had gone and they loved it. And they looked at each other and said, We could make a, a whole lot of money out, out of this. So they went to Mexico because no one had done it in Mexico yet. And they set up this bungee jumping course. And all these people had gathered and they decided to d- demonstrate it. And so uh, one of the guys named Joe uh, jumped off, went down, came back up. But every time he came up, he looked worse. I mean, he's a little bruised up, a little beaten up. By the third time back up, he's, he's bleeding. And so his buddy Al says, is, is the bungee too long? And at one point he says, no, it's just right. He comes back up. He said, well, what's wrong? He said, do you know what in the world the word piñata means? I mean, he's getting beaten up every time he goes down. And God, sometimes that's the way it is in our life. That's the way it was in Paul's life. I mean, he is preaching the gospel, but he's in trouble about it. Let's just look at the first verse, of Ephesians chapter 3, about Paul's trouble. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, if you're an English teacher in here, You would put a red mark on this book because Paul is right in an incomplete sentence. Paul Paul puts this incomplete sentence in verse 1 that he will not complete until verse 14. Because he's in trouble, Paul's become a very unpopular man. Now he understands this. He wasn't very pleased when Christianity started himself. He persecuted, even killed people that were part of what he thought then was simply a new, offbeat, Jewish sect. Now, though, he's preaching it not just to Jewish people, it's to Gentiles. And people who were like he used to be were not happy at all, and they're after him. In fact, they hated him. They hated him. Because he's breaking down racial barriers that a lot of people didn't want to see come down. We understand that. We celebrate this month, the 50th anniversary of the march from Selma to Montgomery. But you watch that old grainy footage and you see a lot of people being beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Why? Because we didn't want many the racial barriers to come down. And that, and, and what happened there is even more radical what's going on with Paul and Jews and Gentiles. And people are not happy about it. And especially to someone like Paul, who appears to be a turncoat. I mean, here's the Pharisee of Pharisee, who's now leading the charge to accept the Gentiles into the church. And people are going berserk about it. We do that, don't we? You go downtown Montgomery to the Greyhound bus station... Where the Freedom Riders rode about 50 years ago, and they got off that bus, and the police protection in Montgomery fell to the background, and those people were beaten. But you know the riders that were beaten the most savagely? If you go down there and read the history, it was the white riders. Because they were looked at as turncoats to their own race. And that's the way Paul's being looked at. Not only is he going to the Gentiles, but he's the last person you'd expect to stand up for the Gentiles. And so Paul's going through a very difficult time. Now here's the cool thing, though, about that verse. Did you notice what Paul said about himself? He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What an attitude. He didn't say here I'm a prisoner of Nero, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He didn't even say I'm in prison because of these Jewish leaders that are upset with me. Oh no, no, no. He's a prisoner for Jesus. He bears in his body the marks of Jesus. He's not ashamed of it. Now how can he have this kind of attitude in the midst of such suffering? His life's been interrupted, his preaching schedule's been thrown out the window, and now he's been spending years chained to a Roman guard. How can he do it? I love what Viktor Frankl said. He's a Jewish man who endured the concentration camps of Auschwitz and lived. Here's what he said. We can endure any what as long as we have a why. You catch that? We can endure any what in life as long as we have a why. And that's what sidetracks Paul in Ephesians 3. He gets sidetracked. He does this, you know, Unfinished sentence, because he wants to explain the why. Go with me now to verse 2. Paul's why. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was made known to people in other generations, as it's been made and not been made known to people in other generations, as it's been made known and been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together in one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ. Paul says the why is I've been given this revelation of the mystery. God has let me in on. This incredible mystery. Now, the key word in the passage you just read is the word mystery. It shows up three times. Now, Now, Paul's idea of mystery is much different than ours. When we think of mystery, we think of something that's sort of baffling or unsolvable. Today, you might watch the news and hear of the mystery of Malaysian flight 370. You know, that flight that just a little over a year ago disappeared in the Pacific Ocean. It's a mystery. It's un, <clears throat> we, we can't figure out what happened to it. The mystery in the Bible, it's different. <clears throat> in fact, let me give you a definition of the word mystery. It's, a sacred, it's the sacred secret <clears throat> that Jews and Gentiles are equal. That's what he defines as the mystery. It, it's, it was a secret that now has been revealed. <clears throat> Paul has been blessed with the ability to share it. And, and what does he say there? He says some... Pretty strong things. The Gentiles are now heirs together. They are members together. Paul makes up a word there never been used before, the word members of a body. They are members together. They are shares together the promise. <clears throat> no one had expected this. That's what was a mystery. That's why it was a sacred secret. Now, if you read your Bible, in retrospect, <clears throat> you will see that there were lots of hints dropped. Old Testament, certainly in the ministry of Jesus, but for some reason, nobody picked up on any of those hints. None of those clues stood out to anybody. That that, that there would come a day when there was absolutely no difference in God's eyes between Jews and Gentiles. They just couldn't fathom it. Much like people in the South and across our country and even across the world today, can't fathom absolutely no differences between races. Now Paul's saying, the reason I can endure this is that I've been given the privilege to know this secret and to share it. I'm able to tell people something they've never heard before. Some of us were blessed when the Iron Curtain came down to be able to go to the former Soviet Union preach. I remember going to the Ukraine, one of the greatest times of my life so exciting because you're able to share the gospel with people who had never heard it. And, and when you see that light bulb come on, I'll never forget an old Ukrainian um, coal miner that we baptized. He was a big, broad-shouldered guy, and he'd heard the gospel. He just turned on to it. And an older man in our group, and a man named Louis Ross, was to baptize him. All we had was a, a small tub in our hotel room to baptize him in. And so this guy was way too big. For some reason, he wanted to get baptized completely naked. I don't know what that was about. But we got this big old Ukrainian coal miner. And we got this old American guy trying to push him under the water. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Is this not a good man here? Yes. No, I should clap, but that's all right. But anyway, you got this big old Ukrainian coal miner getting pushed down. And this old American guy, and in, into Lewis, it was really important. He got all the way under the water, and so he he goes across the water and starts sloshing it over his body. I said, some people immerse, some people sprinkle, some pour. We slosh. But um, this it was it was amazing, and to hear that guy's joy, a man who'd never really heard the gospel. And Paul says, I can endure imprisonment, I can endure persecution, I can endure my name looking like mud, because I get to tell this mystery. They keep reading. What else is the why behind this? Look at verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. You want a literal translation there? I am the leastest of God's people. Paul said, I'm the most undeserving. Here's the one that persecuted and killed Christians, and I'm getting to tell this story. What's he say? This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things, his intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Second, wise the declaration of the mystery? Paul's got an incredible job. It's this part of the passage, the key word is the word grace. It repeats over and over again. But, I, but you must understand here that grace is different here than the way we think of grace, okay? Move on to the next slide there, all right? The declaration of the mystery. What is the grace of God here? Show that. The grace of God saves us, calls us, and enables us. When we think about grace, guys, we almost exclusively think of salvation. We think, man, I'm saved, I understand grace, I got this undeserved gift, this free gift from God, and it is. It does apply, but we have a much too narrow view of grace. In the New Testament, grace is not only about you getting your salvation, but Paul says here, my ministry was given to me by grace. It's an unmerited favor from God that I'm able to do what I do. It's as much grace, the ministry I have, and the power that I have as my salvation Now, many of us who grew up in more legalistic churches, we talk quite often of the moment where we discovered grace, when we finally understood we didn't have to earn it, we didn't have to be good enough, we didn't have to understand everything perfectly or do everything perfectly to be saved. That was a great moment in our life. Here's what I'm challenging you today. Could you discover the rest of grace? And the rest of grace is that grace not only gifts you with salvation, but it gifts you with ministry. You see, we've got it backwards, my friends. Often we look at our ministry as our gift to God. The truth is, our ministry is God's gift to us. And Paul can't get over it. He can't get over it that he, of all people, is given the grace to preach this gospel. And you, you guys... We don't need to get over that God uses sinners like us. In fact, sometimes he uses the worst part of your past to make the boldest statement. He does with Paul. Why is Paul the great preacher of grace? Because of his story. And and so guys, what we've got to go is, not only is grace that awesome thing that saved me, but by grace... You get to go teach children. By grace, you get to go down to Gibbs Village and be a part of reaching out. By grace, you lead a life group. By grace, you get to help people with their problems. By grace, you get to sit down and talk to somebody and help their life be better. That's as much grace as your salvation. Because if we understood that, it would destroy the complacency, lukewarmness in the church. Because it's no longer someone, please, would you come do this ministry? Oh, we need your help so bad. at Would one of you guys sign up? Oh, if you sign up, you won't have to work too long. If you'd sign up, we will give you a treat at the end. I mean, we, we just go on and on and on, begging people to do ministry. And it's only because we think ministry is a burden and not a gift of grace. <clears throat> and Paul understood that. <clears throat> so Paul says, I've been given this incredible grace That would change everything. Let's keep reading. Let's go on down, verse 11. He's talking about this grace, according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Here's our our last part of the why. It's the application of the mystery. Here's the application of this whole deal. Everyone has full access to God. That was radical news. That was radical news to the Jews. I mean, they had grown up in a religion where one guy, once a year, goes into the Holy of Holies, scared to death, to approach God. And when that curtain was ripped from top to bottom... It opened for the Jewish people this this access to God they had never dreamt of. And now Paul's taking a step forward. He says, it's, it's not just for, for good Jewish people. It's not just for our race. Not just for our kind. Not just for our nation. It's for everybody. It's for the Gentiles. They have full access to God. It's as if, you know, you were given full access. This doesn't even compare, but... To the president. You know, we always say that if you want to know who's powerful in Washington, it's, it's how close their office is to the Oval Office, because the more access, the more, the more power. And, and, and how about if you were in a position where the president said to you, you can walk in my office any time of the day. you got some input. You don't like what I'm doing. you got a suggestion. You just want to come visit. I, mean, I don't care what's going on. you got full access. One of the most beautiful pictures in our country of history of that was the access that, that John F. Kennedy gave his little boy John John. That if you read the history and you see some of those pictures from about this little bitty kid had been given full access to the Oval office. And even the president might be meeting with some important foreign dignitary. You might could look and there are pictures of John John playing under the desk. That's us and God. No matter what's going on, we can always play under the desk. We can always talk to God. We've got full access. He says there that we have freedom to approach God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, because Jesus Christ has been through everything that we've been through, we now can come before him with confidence and boldness, knowing that he will give us grace in our time of need. He's going to give you mercy. You don't have to to be scared of going in the presence of God. You don't have to be intimidated to talk to him because of what Jesus has done. The gospel says, everybody, it's not just for a few people, it's for everyone, is to go in the presence of God with great boldness and confidence and actually with great comfort. So let Paul conclude his side note. Verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Isn't that interesting? They're not my glory. They're not even God's glory right here. They're your glory. I gladly suffer for your honor. And so Paul has to write them. They're all worried about Paul because he's suffering. And so Paul has to write them, I don't want you guys to get all discouraged. And this is the cool thing What I hear in this passage. Paul says, don't you be discouraged about the trouble going on with me, because I'm not discouraged about it. In fact, it's awesome. You see, Paul had a deep faith that God could work through sufferings. Listen to me, if you want to study every world religion, one of the great distinctives of the Christian faith is that we have tools to handle suffering. Suffering in Christianity is not looked at as a bad thing, it's actually looked at as a good thing. It it is something that draws us closer to God. It is something that molds us. And so Paul says, don't, don't you guys get upset about this. I'm perfectly okay with this. And so he, where's Paul? Paul is in Rome. He's chained under house arrest to a Roman soldier. Now, now, Paul understands this. I like Tony Evans puts it this way. You've heard it other wording, but same thought. Trials must first pass through God's hand to reach you. I'm, I'm not saying to you today that everything happens in your life is from God. I mean, Job was tempted and his trials were from Satan. But they had to go through God's hands to get there. And here's the confidence you need to have. Nothing's coming to your life that's not passed through God's hands. And God doesn't believe that he could use it. And Paul understands that. And so, so God has at a minimum allowed these things to happen in Paul's life. Let's, let's think about this for a second. Paul was a busy man. He was a traveling evangelist, man. I mean, he loved to go, he loved to preach. Think about this. If Paul had not been in prison those years, would have he ever slowed down to write four books that we call the prison epit- epistles? Philemon's, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. Some of his greatest writings happened because he's chained. And so God takes what we think, what a disaster. The greatest preacher of our age who's traveling the world, changing so many people, he's locked up. God, what are you thinking? God's thinking, you know what? I want to bless some people in Montgomery, Alabama in the year 2015 by an epistle that would not have been written unless I had allowed Paul to be imprisoned. And and not only that, when we read the book of Philippians, we find out that while he's in prison... He's not stopped preaching. He's chained to this Roman soldier. They are, they think he's the captive. No, no, they're the captive audience. And so by the time he writes the book of Philippians, he says, this has been to God's good. Now the gospel is known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and it's, it's passed to, to Caesar's household. Can you imagine the rumors among the guards eventually? You know, it's your turn. <laughs> that guy is going to talk to you nonstop about Jesus, and they're becoming Christians. And so Paul understands that the role of suffering can be a beautiful thing in his life. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. It's really simple. Suffering can be a beautiful thing in your life and in my life. God allows us to see that it was the suffering of Christ that made all the difference in our life. And that when we suffer, we're closest to God. Acts 5, verse 41, they were rejoicing after they had been beaten that they could suffer shame for his name. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it's our suffering that produces perseverance. It's how God molds our character. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's our suffering that teaches us how to comfort people who suffer themselves. So if you come this morning and you're suffering, you feel like a piñata. Let me tell you, you may be in a really good spot. Because God does promise us that we can be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. Here's the deal. Those are not three separate time periods in our life. Those all can happen at the same time. Right now, in this moment, no matter how bad your life is or how you are suffering, you can be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. That's the gospel. And here's the news of this passage it's for everybody. It's not for the spiritual elite. It's not for one race over another race. It is for everybody. Now, sometimes that's hard for us to get. Many of us have been drawn kicking and screaming to believe that, it all, that, that everything is equal. I'll never forget a few years ago being in a life group with a, an African-American man here in this church. he' I mean, a sharp man, professional man, been very successful in his career. And, and for some reason, I don't know what we were sharing about that night, but he, um, he broke down with us. He said, you know what? Here's my fear in life. No matter what I accomplish and what I do, I'll only be looked at as a black man. That's the lens people will look at me. And guys, that's why Paul wants to get this point across, because nobody needs to be looked at as just a black man, or just a white man, or just a Jew, or just a Gentile, or an American, or a foreigner. It's all equal. And with this gospel of grace, it means we've been equipped to, in the middle of our suffering, to minister and to care and to love. It's a gift of grace. So this morning, I want to ask, are there people here today that you're suffering? And maybe right now, you can't see the why yet. You've not figured out why this has gone on in your life. And and, and today, we could pray for you. Or maybe in your life, you're like, you know what? Uh, I'm just beginning to get the gospel. Listen to me, friends. Every one of us is either suffering or we will suffer. You, you hear the preacher that says, if you follow God, and you really are truly committed to God, you're not going to have problems in your life, and everything's going to fall your way, and financially you're going to be blessed, and health-wise you're going to be blessed. The case study that says that's an absolute lie is the Apostle Paul. It didn't happen that way. And there's nobody more dedicated than Paul. So, so either today you are suffering, or you have suffered, or you certainly will suffer. And here's the good news of this message today, is... You can be absurdly happy and completely fearless in the middle of it. You've got the tools, like nobody else on the earth, to handle suffering and even death. So today, could we be the church for you? Could we minister to you and encourage you and pray for you in the middle of your suffering? In just a minute, we're going to sing and you have a chance to come to this front row. But here's what I want to show you before we sing that song. You're in the middle of fellow sufferers. Oh, this is not a down-and-out message, guys. Th- this is a part of our identity that's not negative. Probably need to add another word. I am a victorious sufferer. Let me just ask some people to stand up, Okay. Anybody in here ever suffered relationally? You felt rejected by someone? Maybe you went through a divorce or a friendship that went sour. And would you just stand up if you suffered through that kind of hurt? Any of you ever suffered emotionally, maybe through anxiety or through depression or something that's dominated your life emotionally? You never wanted it, but that's what's happened? Just stand up. Some of you that have suffered emotionally. Anybody in here suffered financially? A point in your life where you lost it all? Maybe even had to go bankrupt? You lost a job? You struggled through it? Anybody in here ever suffer physically with some serious health issues? Stand up. Lots of you are suffering with it right now. Any of you ever suffered with the loss of a loved one? Just in the wrong time. Anybody here ever suffered spiritually where you, no matter how hard you tried, you just didn't feel like you could draw close to God? Look around this audience. The truth is, we should all be standing. The truth is, we've all suffered. And so, guys, we can all suffer in isolation, or we can do it together. Understanding that we can handle any what if we can see God's why. And so today, if you're suffering, you're in the midst of some other sufferers who understand exactly what you're going through. Who, if you want to come today, we will not only pray for you, but we will surround you. And here's the cool thing. You will meet someone today in this church who's suffering in the same way that you suffered. So if you need to come today, why don't you come while we stand and sing?